Dan Rather is the best at digging up unbelievable stories. But if you're looking for some surprises, check out Music's Greatest Mysteries, the podcast. Welcome to Dan Rather's The Big Interview, the thought-provoking podcast with in-depth interviews with music and cultural icons only Dan Rather can deliver. Each episode will bring you exclusive in-depth interviews from classic rock to country and alternative. We cover it all right here on Dan Rather's The Big Interview. So sit back and enjoy these magnificent stories from the artists that lived it. Here's your host, Dan Rather. Daughter. Tonight, on The Big Interview. I remember well, the well I drew water. It has been more than 30 years since Loretta Lynn's life gave rise to a celebrated Hollywood film. But this coal miner's daughter, with the clear voice and heartfelt lyrics, is still living in the spotlight. Well, a lot of things have changed since the way back then. How do you prepare for a performance? You just walk out and sing. Yeah, I mean, what else can you do? Yes, sir. Hall of Famer. There's only... <laughs> There's only one true queen, and you just got through listening to her. Backstage and behind the scenes, an intimate portrait of the one and only Loretta Lynn. I was born. The most awarded lady in the history of country music. First of all, you know the cuter in the wall, right? Okay. Welcome, Loretta Lynn. It's a Friday night in Tunica, Mississippi, and I find myself unexpectedly escorting the legendary Loretta Lynn oh, on stage. Dan Rothers, where you at, baby? Be great. I had come to hear her sing and also to get a sense of the remarkable woman behind the music. I wasn't much more than a baby. I thought he was a bear. The way my daddy carried me around. It was only a few hours before showtime at the Gold Strike Resort and Casino when we sat down to talk. All right, gentlemen, what do you think? Can we start this uh, pretty soon? You know, the lady has other things to do. Yeah, can we start this rodeo? <laughs> I was at the Kentucky Derby, and uh, they said, Loretta, you've got to do a speech. I thought, why do I have to do a speech? I just come here to sing, you know? Yeah. So they said, no, you got to say something. So I got up, and I couldn't think of where I was at to save my life. I met the Kentucky Derby. I said, it's good to be here at this year's rodeo. <laughs> I said, they deserve that for doing me like that. <laughs> Sitting across from Loretta Lynn, it's hard to believe that this one-of-a-kind American artist has been telling her life story through her music for well over half a century. It'll be over my dead body, so get out while you can, cause you ain't woman enough to take my man. This is a woman who made it against all the odds. She was born into crushing Appalachian poverty. She married as a young teenager and had four of her children by the age of 21. So don't come home on your mind. To date, she has recorded an astounding 54 studio albums, 
several of which have topped the charts. She's had 16 number one hit singles and has been honored by both presidents and her peers. But with Loretta, you get the sense that all this fame and success is just half the story. Loretta Lynn, Loretta Lynn, thank you so much for doing this. Well, it's my pleasure. I want this to be the best interview you've ever done. It will be. And I want it to be, if you will, a legacy interview, but that doesn't mean that you're gonna stop working anytime soon. No, I don't think I could do that. I just, I, I just like to work. If I'm home, I'm working, you know. I come in this world working. We had to if we eat, you know. It was one of them things. But you don't ever forget. And even when you don't have to, you want to. Do you know people who say, gosh, Loretta Lynn, she has money, she doesn't need money. She has fame, has a lasting legacy. She doesn't need to do this work. Why does she do this? Because I like to. That's it. That's all there is, you know. I No, I don't have to work. And I do have money, you know. I, I don't spend my money, so I do have money. And, and why, I don't know, because I don't spend money. You don't spend money. Has wealth changed you? Not in a bit. In any fundamental way? Not one bit. How have you dealt with wealth, and let's face it, you've said yourself you have money, with, with these children? What have you taught them, and what's been difficult? Well, it's that? been hard with the kids, you know, because um, they've never known anything else. Um, they, they've known money. Uh, I'd say my first two uh, didn't have much, but the rest of them has had money, you know. I'd be on the road, and they'd, they were spending my money. I, I never spent it, you know. Well, looking, what a career you've had. Did you have any idea, even after you'd broken through in the early 1960s, that your career would have this length never, and depth? Never, never dreamed of it. Never dreamed of it. And then uh, the first thing that happened, you know, they did a movie. And I thought, why? I haven't lived yet. But I guess I made it. <laughs> the movie was Coal Miner's Daughter, based on her number one song and best-selling autobiography of the same name. Both the book and the movie tell the story of Loretta's early rise to fame, how a woman from Butcher Holler, Kentucky, became a country music megastar. That little lady sings her hind end off. Ever since you left me, I've done nothing but wrong. The film was released in 1980 to critical acclaim. Sissy Spacek won an Academy Award for her role as Loretta and Tommy Lee Jones starred as Lynn's husband, Doolittle. I had about enough of this crowd. Hey, where the hell are you going? You come here. Hey, you hold on a minute, Mooney. This is my him. If I want to wear makeup, I'll wear it. The hell you will. You're going to do exactly whatever the hell I tell you. I'll do just what I want. Don't you talk to me like that. Don't you hit me. By God, I'll whip your butt, girl. Track them. Loretta and Doo's turbulent relationship formed the heart of the film. Did the movie make a big difference in your professional life? Well, yeah, I think it made a difference uh, because people will holler from the audience and say, I seen Coal Miner's Daughter last night. You know, they love the movie. And I like the movie too, to tell you the truth. Well, Sissy's basic did a terrific job. She's the only one I picked. And uh, Tommy Lee, I thought, did a fantastic job. He, he's a great actor. Well, looking back over your professional career, what, of what are you most proud? Uh, probably Coal Miner's Daughter. Writing the song? Writing the song. 
recording your song? Yeah, you know, I wrote the song, um, and I had uh, four more verses to it, so I went to record the song. Owen Bradley, my producer, he says, Loretta, there's already been one El Paso, and there's not going to be another one. I guess El Paso was six minutes long. And he said, go take some verses off that song. So I took four verses off and come back in. It was hard, you know, because I was just writing a story in my life and um, recorded the song. And he, he never thought anything of it. He, he probably figured that'll never be heard. And I wasn't sure that it would ever be heard, but I, it was about me, so I sang it. And it made a hit. Well, I was born to coal miner's daughter in a cabin on a hill in Butcher Holler. We were poor, but we had luck. That's the one thing that Daddy made sure of. He shoveled coal to make a poor man's daughter. What's been your biggest professional disappointment or the saddest moment in your professional life? Are you just talking about professional? Yes, ma'am. Um, well, I don't know that I've had very many bad things happen to me in professional. I've worked hard, you know, to make things the way I wanted it. So really, I haven't failed on too much that I went after. Is that the way to put it? Well, if that's what you <laughs> that's believe. That's one way, huh? If, if, that's, if that's the way you feel, that's the way to put it. Well, let's pick a, a disappointment then. Uh, maybe not being able to perform with a certain other performer or? Not really. Well, I, was, I was told, you correct me if I'm wrong, that when uh, the late and genuinely great Patsy Cline passed, that it was a bad period for you. Oh yeah, well, she was only really a girlfriend I had, you know. And um, that was a bad time for me. And we, uh, I didn't do anything um, that she sang till way later in life. And then I cut an album called I Remember Patsy and it brought all this back, you know, and then the movie come and then her movie started. So it did quite good for her family. Well, you knew Patsy Cline very well. Yeah. What about Kitty Wells? Kitty Wells was a great lady. Uh, she was the first girl that I ever heard sing country and I just couldn't wait to meet her. So me and my husband went to the show out. We lived out in the state of Washington for 15 years. And that's where I was when we went to see Kitty. And uh, we caught her going to the bus. Me and my husband was always good at stuff like that, making sure that I got to see, uh, you know, who I wanted to see. And he went up to Kitty and says, Kitty, this is your biggest fan. And uh, he says, she tries to sing just like you. And said, um, she loves you. And Kitty said, well, I thank you. She had her dress hung over her arm, you know, the dress she had on stage. And I kind of felt of it like, this is great. <laughs> I was a big fan. And I did. I went every place trying to sing like Kitty Wells. You're listening to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. We'll be back with Loretta Lynn. Welcome back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Today's guest is Loretta Lynn. Well, 
when you first started singing professionally and you cracked through, what distinguished you? I mean, clearly the lyrics of songs you've written, but there has to always have to be something that separates you apart. Well, you know, you got to work at it. You can't just throw out a song and say, well, that's so good that it'll go on its own. No, it won't. 99% of the time it won't. You got to get behind that record. And sell it. And sell it. You've got to sell it. And I wrote the songs about true life. I wrote about my own life most of the time. My husband didn't know what lines that was in the song about me and him. But, uh, you know, I wrote about everybody's life. Just, just life. In those early days, let's talk about what it was like for a woman in what was overwhelmingly a male world at that time. It was really, um, it was hard. It was really hard. And um, I played my guitar. And that was a good thing because I'd be playing with different bands or I was booked into a little tavern where I had to walk on the, uh, the bar to sing and play my guitar. And Texas was kept me, I'm telling you, they'd ship me from one little bar to the other for $50 a night, kept my kids eating, and that's all I needed. Well, in that world, were men respectful, disrespectful? Did anybody make a you know, run on you? They were real. Uh, the men were real nice to me. I think you, if you demand respect, you're going to get it. I think men know whether to respect you or not. Well, let me put it directly. Okay. Were, were men making propositions uh, to you that you had to, you got, got to be a problem? I mean, no. men are men wherever you go in the world. No. No, they, they respected me. I think they knew I was out to make it, not out to uh, just be seen, you know. There's two kinds. Well, let's talk about writing, because as impressive as your performances are and your singing, and the record shows you know, the most honored woman ever oh, to goodness. work in country music, but you're a very prolific writer. How many songs do you reckon you've written? I have no idea. You know, I haven't even thought about that. You'll have me getting on the bus counting the songs tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. Well, as you know, I recently talked to your friend Jack White, and he told me that you still have many dozens, if not hundreds of songs that you've written that have never been recorded. And some of them never be heard either. <laughs> some of them are bad. Jack White's a good friend of mine. And well, let's talk about the writing. How do you go about writing a song? I mean, do you wake up in the middle of the night and write down the words, or you hum them in it's the car? It's according to how I feel. Uh, if I'm in a room by myself and I think, you know, I ought to write a song. It's according to whether I'm happy or whether I'm sad. And if I'm sad, I'll write a sad song or a happy one and, you know, just vice versa. But that's how I do it. Do you write down ideas as you go along? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll write the title down, you know, because I knew I'd forget it if I didn't write it down, if I was doing something and thought about a song. But um, I think writing is more important than singing. I think the song is what makes the artist tell you the truth. If she can sing at all, if you write a hit song, you're going to have a hit. From where does that come, the, the ability to write so many songs and good songs? You know, I really don't know except when I write, I try to write a hit, you know. I don't waste my time. I ain't got time to waste it. <laughs> so I try to do the right thing when I, you know. You're still writing? I'm still writing. I hadn't wrote in a while, but 
It's funny you'd ask me that. I just said today I've got to get back into writing because that's where my heart is, is writing. You worked with Conway Twitty? Yeah. Conway Twitty was my singing partner, you know. We, we recorded for 12 years, and um, we had, I think, 10 albums out. 10 albums? Uh -huh. Exclamation point. I know. And um, my husband had open-heart surgery, and he was in the hospital, and uh, I looked up and see Conway come off the exit at the hospital, and I said, well, here comes Conway. And I went running down to make sure that he knew where to come to in the hospital to see Do. I never thought anything was wrong with him. And run downstairs and here they come dragging Conway in. Like to kill me, he died that night. And my husband loved Conway. He was the only artist in the business that he cared about at all, you know. And when they told him Conway had just died, I thought he was going to, you know. Um, Cause we was having a hard time keeping him alive. I've seen him when he awakens in the morning. He reaches out. The record shows, and you have testified repeatedly, that you loved your husband. You oh, really yeah, I love my husband. I love him still yet. Well, and to those who say, I love Loretta Lynn, but I don't understand, one, how she could continue to love a husband who mistreated her as much as Loretta's husband Hey, Loretta, Loretta was a fighter. He didn't mistreat me anymore, and I'd turn around and say something to him, you know. I mean, I, I didn't just let things fly by. But he drank heavily. He drank heavily, but his father did, and I think that's why he did, you know. And he was abusive with you? Not really. He never, he never hit me once that I didn't hit him back. I mean... I'm a, like I said, I'm a fighter. But he, how does one say this gently? He meandered from the marriage. Well, who knows? You know, I didn't see it, so. But here's the point. That any number of women would say she should have left him. You must have considered it. I considered it uh, two or three times, but then you get to thinking, you know, uh, you might get in, in something worse. So I stuck it out, and I'm glad I did. What was the best moment of the marriage? I'd say the whole thing. I, I loved my husband, and, he, and I knew he loved me, and his faults wasn't getting in the way. I mean, I wouldn't let something like that just get in the way because I knew he loved me, and I loved him, and that's... That's all there is, isn't it? Well, I think so. That's but there, I'm sure many people listening and watching this would say, no, there's much more than that. But we won't debate the point. No, we won't debate. But I ask you, what was the, what was the best of it? What was the worst of it? What was the toughest of it in marriage? Uh, sticking some of the things out. When he'd get drunk and, um, you know, and I'd be at a show and I'd say, oh, honey, don't get drunk. If I was doing a show with a lot of other um, entertainers, I didn't want them to see him drunk. That would be the worst.
You're listening to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. We'll be back with Loretta Lynn. Welcome back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Today's guest is Loretta Lynn. When I was your girl, promise if I be your wife, you'd show me the world. All I've seen of this old world is a bed and a doctor bill. I'm tearing down your brooder house, cause now I've got the pill. There came a time when you, in fact almost in the beginning, almost in the beginning, that you recorded songs that were controversial for the time. Some of them would not be played on somebody else's stations. I know. They wouldn't play. Like uh, One's on the Way, and uh, they hollered about that one. Um, the Pill? The Pill. Oh, yeah, I'm telling you. I must have really got, must have hit it pretty good, though, because when they don't play them, you know it's going to be a hit. The one radio station will play it, and then the other one will say, well, maybe I should play it. And it would be a number one. Well, it wasn't said much at the time, or at least that I know of, but it's been said since that you were an early feminist, quote, unquote. You were a precursor of what became known as the women's movement. Do you, I know. Do you agree with that, disagree? Well, or? yeah, I got right in the middle of it, you know, because uh, in the, some of the songs that I was singing, uh, when I'd go to do a show, all the women would be out there, I'm with you, you know, and they'd holler at me and say, you come to talk to us women. And I guess I did do my song. The pill may change the world. The dog is a barking and the floor needs a scrubbing. One needs a spanking and one needs a hugging, Lord. One's on the way. Oh, gee, I hope they twins again. You know, my mom has prided herself on being a songwriter, and my daddy happened to be her biggest inspiration. My dad couldn't get away with one thing in his house. When he was up to anything, my mom would write a song about it a week later. It was a hit, and everybody in the world knew what he was doing. This award ain't some good means of fighting mad. You don't need no more of what you've already had. Just boys on the war. Tonight, you've been making your brags around town that you've been a love of my man. But the man I love, when he picks up trash, he puts it in a garbage can. And that's what you look like to me And what I see is a pity You better close your face and stay out of the way If you don't want to go to this city Well, let's talk about Jack White. Let's do. This is a, a recent collaborator. Were you surprised that you wound up working with him? Not really. Uh, I was doing a show in uh, Manhattan, and he come to the, he was doing a show. So um, he come to backstage and talked to me. And I told him I was coming home to record. And he said, how about me coming down and helping you record it? I said, well, why not? I was going to do it myself anyway. So I said, why not? So he followed me down and we recorded. And we got a, an award. We both got, well, we got two awards that night. Two that Grammys. Album. Yeah. Well, Portland, Oregon and Slow Jim Fizz. If that ain't love, then tell me what is a
Well, when you first started working with him, or as you knew you were going to work with him, the thoughts of maybe there's too much age difference in your mind? Not at all. He's, he's a young boy with an old mind. You know what I'm talking about? He seems to be older in his ways and actions. Well, now, I want to put this question directly, but respectfully. Uh, I noticed that uh, there's a scene of you kissing him. So? <laughs> well, was there something romantic going on here Me and that Jack? I should know about it? Me yeah. and Jack? Yes. No. You'd deny it if it were. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd tell you. You know I'm kidding. If y'all have a song that, that you want to hear, holler it out. If you don't, why? I don't like that song. Never did like that song. How do you prepare for a performance? I mean, you've been doing it so many years. You just walk out and sing. Yeah, I mean, what else can you do? <laughs> Would you have a playlist or no? The band knows about what I'm going to sing, you know. Uh, we, we try to keep the first three or four, and then from there, God only knows what I'll sing. It's whatever they holler out. Right. I'm still, I still do that. Nobody else does, but I do. You actually listen to someone calls out and says, uh, sing the pill, or yeah. that you'll sing it. Yeah, I'll sing it if I remember it. I sure will. I noticed that you close, if not every performance, most performances with Coal Miner's Daughter. Yeah. I think I do. Let me see. I ain't been on stage for two weeks. Um, <laughs> well, I've monitored it. Take my word for it. That I'll take your maybe word. Maybe not for it. every time, but most times. Here's the question that some performers, even with their most popular songs, they just get sick of performing it every night, every stop, and they'll do it from time to time. You're just the opposite. It's well, rare you... if you don't sing Coal Miner's Daughter. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't come on stage without singing that. But you got to think of the people out there that's paid their way in to, to hear what you've got to sing. And uh, as long as you keep them in mind and still yourself, you're all right. Nothing but the floor, nothing lives here anymore, except the memories of a coal miner's daughter. And that would be the coal miner's daughter standing right there. Yes, it is. Did you ever think you'd sing at the Grand Never Ole Opry? Never dreamed I'd ever sing at the Grand Ole Opry. Never dreamed it. In the hills of Kentucky, um, no. Well, tell me about Butcher Holler. Well, it's still there today. <laughs> I don't think it's going to go anyplace. Uh, my brother lives up there next to the old house, and he gets a bang out of taking people through the old house now. Herman is his name. I said, you remind me of Herman a little bit, my brother. Well, I take that as a compliment. Well, he's a good-looking guy. So, well, you know uh, what you, I think about you. Come on, you tell that to all the boys. Though. No, I don't. <laughs> well, I thank you, ma'am. I'm unworthy of that, but I thank you. No. You... <laughs> how, how much has Butcher Holler, and for that matter, Kentucky, changed? You know, it's changed quite a bit. There's not as many people up there now as there was when I was a little girl. There was um, three or four families up there. Now it's just maybe two. And the Holler... The, I think they've paved the road up to where my brother lives. Well, we waded mud out of that holler to our knees, getting to school. It was a mile from my place to the schoolhouse. I think the old school fell. 
I don't know if they rebuilt it well, or not. Well, this sounds like a version of what's happened to much of the country. That That's we've, right. We've moved from being a basically rural, agrarian society in the country to being principally an urban nation. That's right. Have you moved at those times? I've tried, but I'm so doggone country and, you know, and I don't get out much. I, no farther than getting out of the bus and coming to the stage. I pretty well stay in, you know. By the way, speaking of country, I want to bring up the song uh, Uncle Sam. Yeah, I think Uncle that's Sam. the name of it. Tell me about that song, how, how you come to, came to write it, how you came to record it, and what the reaction was. Me and was. my husband was in the car, and um, we were taking my little record around the disc jockeys. And um, I said, I hate war. And that was all you could hear was during the Vietnam War. Uh, I said, I hate it. And he said, well, write about it. So I wrote, Dear Uncle Sam. Dear Uncle Sam, I know you're a busy man, and tonight I write to you through tears with a trembling hand. My darling answered when he got that call from you. You said you were It was a number one song for me, way back at the Vietnam War. And then the song had a revival about the time of the 21st century Iraq War. Mm -hmm. That surprised you? Yeah, it, it did. But I sing it every night now because it's so many people, you know, they still fighting. I hate to say it, but they, I wish they'd quit this. Are you, are you worried about the country right now? Yeah, a little bit. Well, tell me about that. Well, I think America would be better off if people would think about America when they, when they do anything. Think about your country, you know, as you do anything. I think if everybody does that, you'll have a better country. You know, what comes through with you in person, in your performances, in your writing, is character. How did you get that character? What's responsible for that? I ask that question because I think a lot of parents and grandparents would like to know the answer because they figured they could use it. You know, I think probably mommy was quite the character. And she would be the one that get me all rest, dressed up to go to Sunday school. And uh, she'd tell me now, you don't have to be you don't have to act like you don't have anything. I always feel like you do. And I think I always felt that way. No matter what I had, whether it was little or, I felt that it was okay. Were you sent to Sunday school regularly or was it just once in a while? Well, I wanted to go all the time, you know. So, <laughs> so naturally, mommy had made this little feed sack slips with little ruffles around the tail so we didn't have to, we didn't have anything, let's put it that way. So that's how we went to Sunday school, barefooted with our little, yeah, we went barefooted all year. We got one pair of shoes a year. And we tried to make sure that we stayed warm, you know. Daddy come down the road, come home from work one time, and I had pulled my shoes off and I was at Bay Creek. And I was sitting there just crying, I had my foot up in my lap, and Daddy said, Loretta, what are you doing? Only he didn't say it that easy. I said, I'm freezing to death, Daddy. 
and poor little old daddy weighed 117 pounds, picked me up and carried me back to the house. And I've often thought, you know, Lord, he ought to be ashamed, you know, bless his heart. But we were talking about what formed your character. You said your mother was a strong my influence. My mother formed my character, I think. Very strong influence. Yes, she did. Daddy was very quiet. You never heard him say a word unless you asked him something. Mommy was different. It was just two different people. Did they spank you? Mommy would. Daddy whipped me one time. He told me if I went to the skating rink with Doolittle, that, and this was just two, two or three days before I got married, he said, I'll whip you. And so he kept his word, but he only hit me a couple times with a switch. Didn't hurt. And I wouldn't have cried if he'd have killed me, you know. <laughs> but we all, Mommy, she, she whipped us. No, I don't want to get too deeply in, into this, but I think people would be interested to know, with that sort of family atmosphere, do you still go to church? Do you make it a point to go to church? Is religion still important to you? What's happened? It is important to me, but I don't go very often because it's hard, you know, to be on the road for a week and go home and try to get church, you know. It's hard, so I don't think it's that important. As long as you know, as long as you know God, that's all you need. And you have your relationship with him? Oh, yeah. Do you pray? I do. Well, I appreciate you being candid with me about it. Not everybody wants to talk about religion. Oh, really? I appreciate you being Well, you wouldn't think, it, you'd think, how do they think they're here? <laughs> I mean, they should think of that, shouldn't they? Yeah. How'd they get here? You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about, you know, you had success early. But you said earlier in this conversation, success doesn't come easily and it's not maintained easily. That's right. You had to travel a lot. You did travel with your husband We traveled in the car um, for years before I ever had a bus. Um, me and my husband, uh, me and my brother, my brother start was singing and he'd drive the car while I, you know, was asleep. It was, it was rough. It was rough. Now with time to reflect on it, were you gone from home too much? I mean, you had children. And like a lot of people, I would say maybe most people, you had to weigh with the ambition, if that's the proper word, the desire and the need to make a living, with wanting to be a good mother and at home. First of all, how did, at the time, how did you feel? Were you balancing that? I was trying to. Um, I had my mommy uh, come down and take care of the babies right after they were born. And then his mother took care of him for a while. But I didn't want to just leave him with anybody, you know, because I'd worry myself to death. And then um, later on, we got a housekeeper, and she's, she's still with us. Same housekeeper? Same person. She's been there almost 50 years. Now, looking back on it, that's how you felt at the time and how you dealt with it. Looking back on it, were you gone on the road too much, too long? I was going on the road uh, too much, but that's the only way you could make it. You either had to get in or get out, and I wasn't going to get out after I started. I don't like to start something and not finish it, so that was it. Did you and your husband discuss this at the time? Listen, are we gone too much? How do we how make this No, work? we had no idea. Neither one of us had no idea what it was going to be like. But we did find out it was hard, but what can you do? I mean, after you, you're in it, You've got to stay in it. I mean, you got to, you got to work. 
Well, your pet name for me is Squaw. When you come home a drinking and can barely crawl, all that loving on me won't make things right. Well, you leave me at home to keep a teepee clean. Six pal pooses the break and wean. Well, your squaw is on the war path tonight. I want to go back to the moment when your husband died. Typically, an extremely difficult time for the surviving spouse. How did you cope? Well, he got real sick, and uh, about six years he was in bed, and I stayed home and took care of him. And um, that was a hard time for me, you know. And they, he got sugar diabetes, and they took one leg off. And when they started to take the other one, I knew it was over, you know, because he was a farmer. He loved to work. And um, when he lost both legs, he just gave up. And I lost him, but I was there when he died. You stuck with him through those six years, yeah. that is to say. What happened to your career during that six-year period when you were taking care of him? I, I have no idea. Did you continue to write songs during that period? No, I didn't. I, I was taking care of him, you know. That was a around-the-clock thing. And you were about what age then when that started? Let's see, he's been gone 18 years. Well, you were... I Late fifties, yeah. And in effect, you take yourself offline with your career for six years. Yeah. You don't do much. You and then I, then I don't work for a year after he's gone. I just didn't have the heart to come back to work, you know. I, but then I had to get it in my head, you know. You need to get up. You need to get out, and start to work. And that's what I did. When you started back, did you start writing or performing first? Performing. Wasn't nothing really happy happening, so mm -hmm. I didn't write. It was maybe a year or so I'd start to write again. Mm -hmm. And then me and Jack White got together and did the album, you know. I was writing then. Right. Jack would say, I want you to do your song. Uh, there was one called Have Mercy on Me Baby, and that was one that he wanted me. He said, where is that song? I said, well, I'll sing it. So <laughs> then when it was time to record, he said, I think you ought to record that. Have mercy on me, baby. I'm down up on my knees. The combination of Jack White's bluesy guitar and Loretta Lynn's fiery passion was unexpected magic. The album, Van Near Rose, was a critical success, introducing Loretta to a new audience and proving that a woman who had already said so much still had a lot more to say. Well, what do you see in, in the future, looking ahead? Wherever uh, you know, I want to make it. You know, I think you make your own future. I really do, uh, uh, Dan, don't you think? I do. You, ha you have to know what you want and go get it. Well, at this stage and age, what do you want that you're going to get? I have done just about anything and everything that I've wanted to do. Um, just keeping good health and keep on singing until I quit. Do you think the time will come when you still have your health but you'll quit singing? I doubt it. If I've still got my health, I, you know, what else do I have to do? And as long as I can sing, I'll sing. Well, you're not having trouble doing that now. No, I haven't had any trouble. <laughs> what is there, is there any one thing that you want people to know about you that you think either they don't know or something they misunderstand about you? Not really. Um, 
I can't think of it. Probably when we quit talking, well, I'll remi remember. Well, speaking of remember, how do you want to be remembered? As a good person. Um, whether they like my singing or not, I want to be remembered as a good person. That wouldn't hurt, I wouldn't, wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings for nothing. Um, like I said, I'd rather be hurt than hurt somebody. Um, that's the way I want to be remembered. At your memorial service, and that comes to all of us, not to be morbid, but it comes to all that's of us. That's right. If they're going to sing one of your songs, what song would you have them sing? I would like to, to have them sing the song that Don Gibson wrote, Where No One Stands Alone. That's my favorite song. I sing it every night, just about. This is unfair to you, and I recognize it. Can you sing me a few bars of it? I don't know this song. Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as the sea and my heart was free and I cried, oh Lord, don't hide your face from me. Beautiful. It's hard to sit here and sing like this. Oh, beautiful, Lord, absolutely beautiful. And why that song? I don't know, I've always loved that song. But it speaks to you. Yeah. and. That's the song that I want them to sing at my funeral. Roberta, thank you very much. Thank you, honey. You're so sweet. You've been so great with your time. I really appreciate it. Ah, uh, thank you very much, honey. Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as the sea and my heart was afraid and I cried oh Lord don't and that's the big interview for tonight we're always eager to hear what you have to say so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or send your comments to viewer at access.tv from here to the grave And that wraps up another captivating episode of Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Now remember, if you love what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, leave us a review and tell a friend. Thank you for joining us for Dan Rather's The Big Interview, where music and conversation unite.